Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner-Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world-class talent. Join her here each week on The Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real-life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. What am I paying attention to today? The number of articles that we are seeing in the news about toxic workplaces. You know, recently something came out again about what's going on at Twitter. Something came out about the, the way that Kanye West has been working with his people. There are, it's just news story after news story. Just yesterday, an article came out from the Mayo Clinic looking at ways in which organizations have toxicity in them and and what to do about it. Because the reality is that the impact of being in a toxic work environment, which you know, it goes on a wide spectrum. There's all kinds of toxicity from, you know, really being bullied to microaggressions and everything in between. And it has an impact on us physically and psychologically. And so that brings me right to our guest for today. I'm so excited that Michelle Simon is here with us all the way from Australia, y'all. And she is, am I wrong about that? Are you not in Australia? Now we're close. I'm in California. You're in California. Yep. Huh. I got that <laughs> completely wrong. And she is an expert in helping people in particular get out of toxic work environments. And so uh, welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you for having me, Janine. You're welcome. I am so glad to have you here with us. So tell me, what is something that you have noticed that people are not paying attention to? And what is the cost of that? I think you described the, the range well of you know what a toxic workplace can look like. You know, my background is in, in public health and, and law, and I only came to this really through a personal experience of somebody who tricked me for over two years. He pretended to be my friend and then decided to steal everything I had built. And so, <sighs> yeah. So I think, you know, the phrase workplace bullying has been around a while. And, you know, most people know that by this sort of typical bullying behavior, right? Of right. just being a mean boss or something like that. But what I found, you know, based on what happened to me and talking to a lot of others, mostly women who've experienced this, is the more covert behavior. So Miriam Webster just announced that the word of the year is gaslighting. Oh my goodness. And, right. 
which of course can occur in a lot of contexts, but is particularly prevalent in the workplace, right? Yeah. So, you know, gaslighting is when someone, when you complain about something and someone says, what are you talking about? You know, no, that was your fault. Um, so really making you question your own reality. And so I think what we're not paying attention to is all of the covert behaviors that can go on at work. And even the word microaggression, which is often used to describe, uh, say, a racist or or gendered remark um, is probably minimizing really the potential harm. So, you know, we know that at least one third of people in the US um, experience some form of bullying at work. I think it's probably higher. And, you know, not just emotional toll that that takes, but the physical toll. We know there's so many connections between, you know, our mental health and physical health. I mean, it's ridiculous right. to even talk about those two as separate, <laughs> really just health. The consequences are really can be quite devastating. I mean, there are even many reports of suicide from people who have been, you know, bullied in some form or another, another right. over time. And but particularly, I'm interested in the more covert behaviors that aren't always easy to spot. In my case, it was completely behind my back. I didn't know what was going on until it was way too late. For other people, you know, they may have a sense that something's off. But again, it's that, you know, questioning your reality, and that can really have very negative impacts on your health and obviously your work performance, et cetera. Yeah. And so I, I too have had that sort of experience, both covert and overt. I had a boss at one point who I found out from other people who were in a more senior position had been badmouthing me in senior leadership meetings that I wasn't participating in, but I was finding it out mm -hmm. from these, from these friends. Mm -hmm. And, and it's one of those tricky situations where I was happy. I was happy to know that my boss didn't have my back. I was happy to be able to sort of have my guard up and yet sort of like, well, what do I, what do I do? about that. She's my boss. And so when people find themselves in those sorts of situations where it really is covert, where it's not being done directly to your face, when things are being said about you in other situations, what what are effective strategies that you have become aware of and that you really work with uh, folks that you work with directly, you really mm -hmm. work with them to help them implement these strategies. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, when you when you're on the receiving end of a smear campaign and you get an inkling of it, it's probably already too late, and yeah. and there really isn't a lot you can do. You know, especially if your boss is directly in, involved in it. I mean, right. obviously, often your boss is being you know, the smear campaign is being directed to your boss. So people are, you know, engaging in a whisper campaign about you, what have you, other than trying to have a direct conversation with your boss, which, you know, you can try if you can start to get <laughs> right. clues. Um, I would say if, like you found out, sadly, your boss doesn't have your back, then there is really next to nothing you can do. The only option there could be is if you're in a big enough company to ask for a transfer. Yeah. But, you know, every company is different for how they handle that sort of thing. And, you know, really at, at that point, 
the only option is to get out. So that's generally what I do is I help women exit their toxic workplaces because they're really, you know, one of my pet peeves is seeing articles out there like top 10 ways to handle your toxic boss or whatever. And it's like, you know, there really is no handling a toxic situation except to get out as quickly as possible. Now, of course, not many people are able to just quit. And I understand that. But, you know, there are there definitely are when I think of managing, I think of more just sort of short term meditation techniques or things uh-huh. that you need to do to just kind of manage your day to day stress. Because, you know, I have one client that I mean, her stress escalated into a full on, you know, physical um, problem. And so, you know, there are techniques I and mean, they're kind of standard meditation techniques minimizing contact with the toxic person, you know, just doing everything you can to protect yourself, put boundaries around, you know, your time and take as, you know, I always start with how many vacation days do you have? Um, You know, I just talked to a friend yesterday. She had forgotten that she had a contract when she started her job that gave her four weeks vacation. And I said, oh, really, how much have you taken? And of course, you know, not all of it. So just really taking stock and what do you have available to you to minimize your contact with these toxic people? You know, whether it's literally taking time off mm-hmm. or, you know, um, blocking certain people from contacting you. One client who has someone who just contacts her randomly all day long. And I said, you got to just, you know, not answer. So just finding ways to protect yourself, your boundaries, your health, while you then create, you know, the exit plan to... Right permanently get out of that situation. Yeah. So I have a client uh, that I have been working with now for a while, and I did a a workshop with, uh, with their entire leadership. So, and any, their entire manager team. So anybody who is managing anybody else, about 128 people. And we were having this really interesting, you know, big conversation about what is the impact on us when we have a manager who is who is anywhere in that spectrum in in the bullying or just not very nice to be with that just makes you want to put your head down on your desk and take a nap all day long. And, and so like, what is, how does it make us feel when we are in that situation? And so we had this big whiteboard with lots of uh, words on it, you know, demoralized and stupid and ineffective. And, and then one person, not surprisingly, a young person said, I would leave (laughs) if I were in that situation. Yeah. And I said, that's so magnificent. And I'm so glad that you are bringing that up. Right. Here was the reality for me. I was in this kind of a situation. And of course, it's not every day, all day that you're in that situation. And right. it's and there is a frog in the pot of boiling water thing that happens. And and then sometimes it's great and and everything is good. And you feel like, oh. Maybe, maybe it really was all my imagination. And then, of course, mm-hmm. it goes back to being what it was. And right. I said, I, I was in this situation for nine years. Wow. And the reality was that by the time I finally left, 
it had taken a huge toll yeah. on, be, on me physically and psychologically. And, right. you know, I, I very much felt like I had PTSD or, you know, something else where I had really lost in many ways my sense of self and yeah. my sense of self-efficacy and my sense of, you know, being being a competent human. And in in that land between I would leave, I would get up and walk out the door and me who stuck it out for nine years, hoping that things would just magically get better. How can we shorten the period of time that people who are in the camp like me stick around yeah. in that situation? Right. Well, I do think there is a growing awareness. I mean, you know, that young person you mentioned is sort of, you know, indicative of, I think the next generation that is just saying, yeah, I'm not taking right. that. Right. So right. that's will, good they, which is, for them. Which is part of why, yeah, it it is, it is great for them. And it is right. what is leading to the great resignation and the great reorganization, totally. and, you know, because they are just, they're not willing to tolerate those sorts right. of situations. Right. Yeah. But even beyond the younger generation, I mean, we have, you know, COVID obviously just kind of laid bare so many of these problems. And, you know, now you have not only the great resignation, but the great worst thing working from home, Right. <laughs> you know, and who can blame them? Who wants to be in a toxic office when at least when you're home, you can deflect a lot of the BS that happens in the right. office. Although I will say there's evidence that even virtually a lot of, you know, these especially covert kind of power play behaviors can go on. I mean, for me, I remember feeling like Slack was being weaponized against me, you know, where there'd be yeah. this weird ganging up happening or somebody would try to embarrass me. I was just like, really? I mean, so yeah, I mean, it can happen both virtually and in the real office setting. And, you know, what you described as when you mentioned PTSD, I do think it's important to talk about um, the harm that can come from this type of behavior, particularly over time as a form of trauma. And, you know, I think that is becoming more recognized, you know, workplace trauma. And, and I think it is important to, to call it that and recognize it as that. And so what can happen is after you've experienced workplace trauma, and, you know, in your recovery, or then, you know, especially if you go too soon to the next workplace, um, that PTSD happens, right? So you may, you know, something will trigger you, some a boss will say something that feels like what your other boss said, and even though, you know, it's really different, you get reminded of it, and you react, and then your body goes right back into that place of like, protection, freeze, fight, you know, the various reactions to right. feeling under threat. And so it's really important to heal from a traumatic work situation. And, you know, what I always recommend, if possible, is to take time mm -hmm. between, you know, that's why it's, it's the hardest thing is to talk to someone who is in a situation, cannot quit, and then, you know, can only leave by getting another job. Right. And while I understand most people are, you know, obviously economically in that situation, I also like to discuss the possibility of taking some time in between. Sometimes you can negotiate with a new employer, particularly if you're, you know, a, a high level or specialized field where they really need you, um, then they will allow for, they may give you some extra time. Um, and you can honestly say, I need, you know, to be at my best 
for this new role, I need time to yeah. downtime in between. And, you know, a good employer will actually will understand and respect that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. A bad sign is an employer who says, no, I'm not going to give you any time. We need you yesterday. Like you don't really even want to go into that situation. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just really think it's so important to take the time to recover. And I also always recommend, you know, I, I'm, I'm a, sort of a between somewhere between a therapist and a, an attorney and how uh -huh. I help people. But I, I, you know, I, I understand both worlds, but I also understand sometimes the need for almost always a, a you know, trained therapist, which I'm not. And so to talk to someone who understands, particularly is trauma um, in trauma informed. So not all therapists, what I had to learn the hard way, uh, let me save you lots of time. Not all therapists actually understand trauma. So it yeah. wasn't until I found the right therapist that I was able to truly heal. And also someone who understands if you are victimized by uh, someone with narcissistic tendencies, which is uh -huh. also very common. Yes. I wound up working with someone who specialized in narcissism. And that was extremely helpful to understand, you know, the behavior that was behind what happened to me. So the more specialized you can find someone to help you uh, recover from that trauma, the better. And then, you know, I always like to throw out there the potential for getting some kind of severance, you know, on your way out the door. Obviously, if, if they're letting you go, then you're in a better position to negotiate. But even if you want to quit, sometimes it is possible to get your employer to give you severance. If there was some kind of, you know, illegal activity going on, right? Like right. Right, discrimination or retaliation, then, you know, you're in a better position. Unfortunately, most of the behaviors we've been talking about, you know, just straight up bullying, or even stealing your work, or certainly gaslighting are not actionable, as we say in law, right? But um, what I do is I start to probe for like, well, were you paid differently if you're a woman, you know, than a man? If, were you treated differently than men if they're are in another protected class? Like sometimes, oftentimes, you know, there's a combination of things going on, right? So somebody who, um, and by the way, age discrimination is obviously very common, difficult to prove, but the threshold for that is just age 40. So, you know, there's a lot of potential for bringing in potential ways to threaten an employer to leverage getting some kind of severance out of the arrangement. And the, the reason I really like to stress that is that goes back to what we were just talking about to get time, mm -hmm. you know, to really give yourself the time um, financially, the, the bridge that you need between to recover from the toxic situation that you are coming from before you jump to the next job. So obviously severance pay can help with that. And I want to I want to bring up two things. One is a part of a book that I want to introduce into this conversation, really looking at some of the differences between men and women. Before I do that, though, it was not my exit strategy. It ended up being the beginning of my exit, but it it was not my strategy to go out on medical leave. Mm -hmm. But I knew I was in trouble. I knew I was having a hard time managing myself. And so I actually went to my doctor and said, I think I need to go on antidepressants. And after talking with me for a very brief period of time, his response was, you actually need to go out on medical leave. And that ended up granting me the gift of time mm -hmm. to 
to make that happen. So this is from the Harvard Business Review. And when we're looking, you know, when we're talking about what's happening with incivility and the workplace, part of why I love this graph is in 1998, when this begins, about 25% of people had experienced incivility in the workplace. Now, this is at, actually the, the bar lines are not uh, showing for the, I don't know why, but it is now at 99%. That's that top, <laughs> top number. 99% of people are experiencing incivility, again, you know, across wow. a whole spectrum in the workplace, according right. to the Harvard Business Review. So before we get into a little bit more about the differences between men and women, do you have any do you have any thoughts on that, Michelle? Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> there's two ways to look at that, right? One yeah. is, oh my God, we've, you know, increased. And I think there may be some increase because it is true that, you know, especially in the last administration, we had sort of this no holds barred, like anything goes and, and the Twitter type of crazy leadership. And so I do think there there is legitimate increase. But I also think yes. that you know, back in the day, we just didn't really talk about it, or we right. didn't identify it, and maybe that right. word wasn't really being used the way it is today. So I think it's probably some combination of not having identified it previously to like, yes, things have gotten worse. Yeah. And one of the things that I find fascinating is because I got into neurobiology and brain science about 15 years ago, and our brain does not immediately distinguish between something bad, me seeing something bad happening to you and it happening to me. Mm -hmm. And our, our brain is wired because we are so wired to be sensitive to, mm -hmm. am I safe? You know, that is you know, a whole parts of our brain are just de right. <laughs> designated to, am I safe? You know, if something bad happens to you in the workplace and I see it, I'm not even party to it, not even your best friend at work. I just see it happening. Right. It has an impact on me too. And so I think that our sensitivity to it has also changed dramatically. Yeah, that's interesting though. You know, that could also work um, in a negative way in that that fear or that um, sense of safety or lack of safety often means that your coworkers who you thought might actually come to your defense or help you in some way don't and right. instead they retreat and just protect themselves and so that's something that affects you know everybody in some way or another who is experiencing workplace um, abuse yep. and that is really what we're talking about is you know the betrayal right so there's i talk about the different layers of betrayal so there's sort of the initial betrayal of in my case somebody who i thought i could trust turned out to be um, completely undermining me and then there's the what's called institutional betrayal mm -hmm. and so that's when the how the company responds how your boss responds etc and that usually doesn't go very well either you know, the third layer is your colleagues, your coworkers who, right. you know, some of them might do the right thing and speak up, but let's be honest, most of them, most of them are, are not, right? right? They're just gonna um, close ranks and abandon you, frankly. And that's what happened to me. So um, so it's, it's multi-layered and that's why, you know, again, therapy, so important. 
to unpack all of that. So important and so helpful. And so I want to read you a little bit here from this book, which is On the Shoulders of Mighty Women by my good friend, Leslie Michaels. And I was actually asked to contribute to it. So this is from page 61. And what it says is in her seminal work, Mindset, the New Psychology of Success, author and researcher Dr. Carol S. Dweck writes, many females have a problem, not only with stereotypes, but also with others' opinions of them in general. They trust them too much. Girls learn to trust other people's estimates of them. Boys are constantly being scolded and punished. When we observed in grade school classrooms, we saw boys got eight times more criticism than girls for their conduct. Boys are also constantly calling each other slobs and morons. The evaluations, therefore, lose a lot of their power. Uh, what Dr. Dweck is pointing to is the drastically different ways in which cisgender boys and girls are socialized, both by their caregivers and by each other. Girls are praised for being cute, sweet, polite, pretty, and nice. Through this, they learn to praise and evaluate others for these same and similar qualities. Boys are physically and verbally aggressive for each other, jokes about farts and other bodily functions while calling each other's names, but while calling each other names. As a result, and as a group in which there tend to be lots of exceptions, women tend to be impacted more severely and deeply by harsh criticism than men. Mm. Let me be clear, men are affected too. Toxic work environments are horrible for people uh, regardless of generation, what I, gender. What I am emphasizing here is that women are significantly more likely to internalize the criticism and experience it as doing harm. Hmm. So because a lot of your work is focused on women in particular, um, I thought that this was an important element to bring into it that that women are wired both you know in our brain science literally in our brain chemistry we're literally wired and right. then by society we're further wired to be really impacted in negative ways by criticism especially when it it extends over time right I would say what comes to the front for me is, we're also, we're supposed to be perfectionists, right? right? Most women are perfectionists and that we're supposed to be good girls and, but we're also supposed to be nice. So, right. you know, so when we get criticized, of course, we're going to internalize it and we're not going to speak out. We're not going to defend ourselves either. Right? So it's like right. this awful combination of like, we, we internalize it, but we're too nice to complain about it because if we complain about it. But we're not supposed it, to complain about right, we're not complain, it. Complain, and if we do, then of course that just, you know, creates more gaslighting. And backlash. So, right. you know, women now are we're in a bitch and a situation. problem. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. when you are working with folks and working to help them figure out how to get a break, how to um, how to create a transition for themselves, if there are folks who are listening or watching us now, in addition yeah. to taking care of ourselves uh, while we're still in this situation, are there any other 
things that we can and should be, in addition to reaching out to you directly and saying, (laughs) hey, I would like to work with you. I need some help. What are other things that people can be doing? Yes. So I like to recommend that you kind of shore up your resources, right? So Mm -hmm. in addition to sort of immediate self-care, we talked about also, like for me, it was helpful to kind of dig back into earlier friendships in my life. I mean, people who I was still in touch with, but um, but to lean on them a lot. Like, you know, obviously in addition to my partner who got me through this, um, but to go back to the people who really knew you when and yeah. who, you know, really care about you and will give you, you know, the time that you need to um, process what's going on. So get out of the work environment where you really can't trust anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and go to the people who love you and knew you and really, um, you know, will let you lean on them. And so yeah. in addition to the professional therapist that you can't, you know, spend all your money there, you're like, go get your therapy for free from the people who really love you. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, from there, other resources like, you know, pets, taking walks on the beach or, you know, whatever nature you have near you. Just like thinking about showing up your resources, right? To get breaks, to just really, you know, give yourself that strength. And I can't emphasize enough this idea of really leaning on people in your lives. I mean, that is really what saved me. And, you know, we tend to think, oh, that person will be too busy. And you know what? Most people really are happy to help. And so I think just really making sure that you go to the resources that you have available to you, you know, both professionally and personally. I think one of the challenges often for humans and maybe especially for women is remembering to rely on our resources. Like we, we get into, especially professional women, we get into this, like, I need to be able to stand on my own. I need to be able to do it myself. And I used to have a post-it on my computer that said the smartest people look for their resources and ask for help. There you go. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, women, of course, as caregivers, are always the first to be taking care of everyone else around us. But, you know, uh, our, uh, you know, energy gets drained. And you're right. We absolutely need to allow others to take care of ourselves, of, of us when we need it. Awesome. As an attorney, and 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 this is my uh, last question before we start wrapping up. And so, if there's other things that you want to bring in, please do. As an attorney, one of the things that we often hear in situations is you want to start documenting everything. Right. How important really is that? It is important. I will say it's more important. Uh, where you think you have a legally actionable case, but obviously most people don't know um, right. who aren't lawyers, whether they do or not. So it's always <laughs> good just, you know, when in doubt to document. Um, and, you know, I think it's useful, even regardless of whether you you uh, bring a case, first of all, it's always good, even if you want to ask for um, severance. So, yeah. you know, what I always tell people is like, start with your accomplishments. Like, you know, so just documenting um, everything that you've done in a positive way at work is always good to have if it's not already available. And then, of course, any interaction that, um, you know, where someone's trying to gaslight you um, to create evidence um, to the contrary. So, yes, documentation is important. I don't want people to get too crazy over it. Some people are better at it than others. But um, but I would say 
key conversations, you know, so like if you talk to your boss and they said one thing and that contradicted something else, whatever, like certain things that you think you might might come in handy later on, definitely document and can do the the lawyer thing, which is after you have uh, either in person or a phone call, send a follow up email, you know, summarizing what you talked about. You don't have to do that. You can also just, you know, keep a written record for yourself. You don't have to necessarily send it via email, but depending on the situation, either one is is good. Um, so yes, I do think documentation is important. And also consulting an attorney before you think you need to. So one mistake people make is they think they only need an attorney if they're going to sue. Well, I don't want to sue. It's like lawyers don't only sue. Lawyers <laughs> help you, you know, understand the situation that you're in and ask the right questions and can kind of guide you on, you know, like the documentation piece that you might right. need no matter what path you take. And then again, like, you know, with requesting severance, negotiating the terms of severance and so forth. So, you know, the sooner, um, if you have any suspicion that there's wrongdoing going on, the, the other reason is retaliation is almost certain to happen. Mm -hmm. So once you complain about something, documenting potential retaliation, having a lawyer who can help you because retaliation is absolutely illegal when it's regarding an underlying illegal activity. So these are the kinds of reasons it's it's good to um, you know just consult a lawyer um, sooner rather than later. Awesome. So obviously, you know, this is a this is a challenging subject. It is a place where it can be hard for us who are survivors of these kinds of situations to talk about it. It can be hard when people are realizing, oh crap, I'm <laughs> I am in a bad situation that I probably need to do something about this. Right. And often, as you said, the only really often the only thing to do is to leave. And so then mm -hmm. how do we figure out how to make that happen? So Michelle, I really want to thank and appreciate you for your wisdom on all of this, but and also for your honesty and your authenticity and your willingness to talk about things that are are difficult and challenging and and um, bring up lots of feelings and emotions. So I really yeah. want to thank you and appreciate you for um, for being here with us today and also for the work that you are doing, helping people get out of these situations. My pleasure. Thank you for making the space to have these hard conversations. And I think, you know, what makes them so hard is that often we feel alone in them. Right. And so, you know, that's why it's so important that that we do talk about it. And, you know, I can't tell you how many women have reached out just to thank me for like a LinkedIn post. I mean, which seems mm -hmm. like so simple, but it's because we tend to, again, women, um, I mean, men do this too, but just in general, we tend to suffer in silence, right? Yep. And so, you know, it is really important to make sure people understand you're not alone. It's not you, it's them. Get out, move on to a healthier situation. Take care of yourself. That is the most important thing. And that's one of the things I think can also be helpful about documenting is that it can sort of be a form, an easier way maybe into something like journaling, like because it can help us to see, okay, this really this really isn't me. I'm yes. I'm not crazy. I'm not imagining this. There Definitely. is in fact something going on here. Yes. And absolutely. I'm actually not the problem. Right. And seeing the patterns. So, yeah. you know, you, the first time it's easy to dismiss, right? Okay. But when you 
you know, as soon as you notice the second time, go back and write down that first time because right. that's when you start seeing the patterns. And yes, and that is when you absolutely realize it's not you, it's them. And, you know, the other thing um, I'll say is, I think, again, as women in the caretaker role, I often hear, and I had this feeling too, well, I can't leave because of the other, you know, I feel responsible for my team right. or, you know, the department will just fall apart without me, which, you know, they will falter. Yes, but really everything will move, go, you know, keep going and you can't save the other people on your right. team. You know, you got to save yourself and put on you your know, oxygen mask first. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again so much. Uh, this has been a wonderful, rich, and enlightening conversation. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. It's been my honor. Uh, I am Janine Hamner-Holman, and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams.